going to say, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but as I was thinking about so many passages, like what um, Marsha read this morning, but, but this, this book is literally full and screams at us of how dangerous pride is and how essential humility is. And I don't think, you know, for some reason it passed over my head before. Um, I, I don't know that I'd focused on it, but I was in the love chapter today. What is the, where's the love chapter? Right, 1 Corinthians 13. I got one of them love chapter things coming up. We've got a wedding coming up in our family. And uh, so um, thinking some of that, I was in 1 Corinthians 13. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a exposition, I guess you would say, of these 13 amazing verses that describes love. I think before you ever read that, you really have to have the foundation that God is what? Love. So we're having described here, if you will, what God looks like in his character, in his person. He does have this kind of love. The Corinthian church didn't, and apart from grace, neither do you or I. And so it's being laid out for us in a beautiful fashion, often read at weddings, very appropriate. And um, it says things like, if, if I have not love, I'm nothing, right? It starts out with that. Well, here's where I landed because of our study. My, look at verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. What's the next thing say? Love does not what? Brag. Your Bible might have a different word in there. You got another word in your translation? Okay. All right. It means brag. It means being lifted up. I mean, it means being proud. Um, love isn't proud because love isn't, is like God. And, 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 and love doesn't want to exert itself and proclaim itself. It, it proclaims another. And then it even goes on to say, and is not, it's sort of accentuated. It says it, it doesn't brag because it is not, what's the next thing it says? Because it is not arrogant. That's pride. And, and so we even see here in the love chapter, the screaming at us how dangerous pride is, how easily it can, it can seep into our hearts. And so even here it's laid out what humility would look like. Humility is patient. Humility is kind. Uh, you know, humility suffers long. Humility bears all things, believes all things. But pride says, no, I'm number one. It's about me. And so we even find that just in the love chapter. I just thought that was um, a different insight than I had noticed before. So we've looked at um, pride to some degree. And last week we looked at the, uh, the promise of humility, uh, the pathway to humility. And then this week we're going to look at uh, that next page where it says at the top of the page, number three, the product of humility. And then we're going to look at the perfect example of humility, which is, of course, Jesus Christ. 
And so before I do that, reading various books on this topic, um, one so captivated me, uh, I started to make a few notes on it, but I, I just couldn't make notes. So I, I, I want to read, on the one hand, because I grab something here, and I grab something here, and I grab something here, um, it's not going to sound like it flows, but the truths, I think, are going to minister, and they're going to catch you where we're going and where we have been. And uh, this is a book called Humility, and uh, the author states in his opening quote that humility is the most overlooked yet essential teaching of Jesus Christ. Now, I, I suppose that could be argued, so I'm not going to give you the author. I'm, I'm not interested in you necessarily jumping into the book, but there's a lot of truths in the book. Sometimes you have to be able to take a book and you have to be able to eat what's good and spit out the bad. And There'd be a little bit of that um, when this author writes. But these excerpts I thought were really helpful, and they encouraged my heart. And um, really it's beginning to look at why would we focus on humility? Why is it so essential to focus on humility? And here's what I want to read to you. There are three things that should motivate me to be humble. Humility is the only normal way for me to live as a man or a person. This healthy desire to take a rightful place under God moves the angels in heaven just as it did Adam and Eve when they were freshly created and Jesus when he lived as a carpenter in Galilee. Humility also gives me hope as a sinner. It appeals to us humans in our fallen condition and points to the only way to return to our right place in God's creation. Finally, humility strengthens me as a saint. Grace teaches us that as we lose ourselves in the overwhelming greatness of God's love, humility before him is caught up into everlasting blessedness and worship. Isn't that good? God doesn't give us life once and for all and then leave. He gives us life moment by moment with a constant working of his mighty power. Humility is the place of total dependence on God and is our primary duty and highest good. That's just how the universe is put together. So pride, the loss of this humility, is the root of every sin and evil. In all of heaven and earth, pride is exalting yourself is the gates to hell and the greatest curse. It is obvious then that nothing can be right again until our lost humility is restored. Humility is the original and only true basis of a relationship a human being can have with God. Jesus came to bring humility back to earth, to make us sharers in it, and by it save us. In heaven, he humbled himself to become a man. The humility we see in him, he possessed in heaven. Humility brought Jesus, and Jesus brought humility down to earth. We'll, of course, see that in 
Philippians 2 here in a few moments. Humility is the only soil where Christ-like character can root. A lack of humility is the only explanation you need for every flaw and failure you have. Humility is not one of many good character traits. It is the root of all of them because it places us in a right relationship with God. Humility doesn't just happen. We have to want it. It requires faith, prayer, and practice. I thought that was helpful. Um, so I wanted to share that with you. So we're going to return now then, letting that be the launching pad to uh, the product of humility. What does humility produce? Well, humility produces the kingdom of heaven in you. Um, the Beatitudes, the kingdom, the kingdom that now is in existence, but it's in our hearts, and the kingdom that one day will come. We have a king, don't we? And he sits on his throne, and he rules in our hearts as Lord in Christ. But one day he's going to come to this earth, and he's going to rule as Lord in Christ over all the earth. And as we, as we wait for that day, um, humility is produced in the life of a, of a believer because of the Spirit of God in us. In Matthew 5, 3, you would be familiar with the Beatitudes, starts out with, it's the beginning, it's the entrance. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's why it's essential. You can't even get in. You can't get through the door. Some of you have heard this illustration many times, but I want to use it again for those of you who haven't. In the former home, or home where we um, lived, we had a door. It was a rather short door, so that the door would come to about here on me. The, so if you wanted to get into this really very large attic space, you had to go through the door, and to go through the door, you had to bow down. And because they wanted to make sure people, I guess, wouldn't hit their head, they did something that I thought was very unusual. As a matter of fact, I've never ever seen another door like it before in my life. It had a door handle, and guess where the door handle was? The door handle was at the very bottom of the door. So the only way you could open the door was to bow down. And you bow down and you'd open the door, and because you'd already been down there, you can go in. Now, it's a really crass illustration, but that's salvation, my folks. You have got to bend down before a holy God and confess that without his salvation, there is no coming in. There is no other way. And in fact, not a lot of times, but at least a couple of times, when we would have workmen come to my house and they'd have to go into that area, I would actually take opportunity to share that little illustration and the gospel with them while they were there. And um, if you won't bow down, you couldn't get into that attic. You, you hit your head, you could hit your face all day you want to, but those, those beams weren't going to give. You weren't getting in if you don't bow down. And may I say, you're not getting in if you won't humble yourself like a child to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so humility was the first beatitude. That's a, the blessed are the poor in spirit. Why are they blessed? Because they now have entrance into the kingdom. They have bowed down to 
the lordship of Christ. Salvation comes as we humble ourselves to the glorious God. And so that's one of the primary um, products of humility. As we humble ourselves, we get saved. And, and then we continue to grow. As we humble ourselves, the king's servants, we're now his servants, uh, we're, we're greatly used. Matthew 18.4 says, Therefore, whoever humbles himself as a little child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 23, if you want to look those passages up, 11 and 12, it starts out by saying, The greatest among you shall be your servant. Now, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples and to the others that are listening. The greatest among you will be the servant of all. That's what he's saying, being servant of everybody else. In other words, you're, you are, let's put it in a practical ones. Um, we have a pizza fellowship tonight. You're not the one to see if you can get to the head of the line. You're looking to make sure everybody else that needs to get fed gets fed before you. Uh, you're not the one that is um, the last one to sign up for some kind of a service opportunity. You're the, you're the first one. Uh, be, because you recognize that you're, you're, you're least in the kingdom. I'm going to tell you, I think it's a funny story. This truth, Tim and I, Tim White, years and years and years ago, um, I was a youngster and he was younger. And um, Pastor Alley had his famous gold Mercedes. How many of you remember when Pastor Alley even remember him and his gold Mercedes? Now, even if you talk to him today, he's going to acclaim what I acclaimed the other day, that he's the world's best driver. But I have a secret to declare here, and any of you that have ever seen him would have to admit, actually, he's the world's worst driver. But he's had God's protection all these years because he never seems to get into a wreck, so that's amazing. And in Pastor Alley's world, he always drove every place, and he always took me or me and Tim with us, which meant one of us had to get in the back seat capitalizing on this verse, as soon as Pastor Alley would say, we're going to the hospital or we're going to wherever, we would run for his car to see who could get to the back seat first because then that meant the other person had to sit in the front seat and then we would chide each other later that um, I'm greater than the kingdom than you. So we turned around and then we boasted about it, which of course then we lost that truth. But it's the idea. Do you get the idea? The, the idea is you're not thinking of yourself first. You're thinking of yourself, what a privilege it is just to be in the kingdom. What a privilege it is to just be in the kingdom. If I can be on the last row in the farthest seat from the throne of heaven, that's the most wonderful thing that would be in the whole world, amen? That should be the heart attitude. And what God builds in the heart of his people as they continually humble themselves. The next verse says, and whosoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. It's exactly what we read last week in 1 Peter 5. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and in due time he will exalt you. We don't exalt ourselves. We, we let him exalt us and put us in the places where he wants us. We trust him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge he is Lord. 
He is Christ. He is sovereign. He is good. And you let him direct your steps. You just, you just trust in that. But that takes humility because we have that inward desire to want to be in control rather than let God control us willingly without walking along like screaming babies. The perfect example of humility, of course, is found in Philippians 2 in the Lord Jesus Christ. So join me there in Philippians 2. I don't imagine that any preacher or teacher has ever thought in his life they could read this passage and do justice to it, and I certainly can't. Um, but we see here the absolute supreme God in the flesh. When you see me, you see the Father. This is what perfect humility looks like. It starts out here in verse 5. Well, no, let's, let's do this whole um, chapter through 11 because you see even the entrance deals with humility. Therefore, if there be any encouragement in Christ, if there be any consolation in love, notice you can't separate Christ and love because God is love. If there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation in love, if there's any fellowship in the Spirit, now we see the Spirit, capital S. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And love manifests itself. By the way, the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's singular. It is love. And it manifests itself then in all of those other beautiful fruits. Joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, faith. Or fruit of the Spirit that comes from love. And if there be any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. We are to be like God. We are to be like Jesus Christ, empowered by the Spirit, endued with his love, that love shed abroad in our heart, as it says in Colossians, for this purpose. And he gives us a, some, some things here. He says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. You see the essential nature of humility? with humility of mind, regarding one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Now this that we've talked about, this that's in here, this that's been written, Paul now says, have this attitude in yourselves because this is the attitude of Jesus Christ himself. This is Christ's likeness. So that's what verse 5 says. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, whom, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant 
and being made in the likeness of man. The creator, the one that spoke all the world into existence, took on the form of one of his creation. It, it's not even a close illustration. It's not even a close illustration. It's, it's an illustration that's, just, that's farther than from here to the sun. But it would be like me taking on the form of an ant and walking among the ant world. I mean, it's, it's, it's that kind of unthinkable thing that the holy God did in humility to reach you and me. That's astounding, isn't it? Except the Spirit give illumination to that. How can you possibly grasp such great love and such amazing humility? Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. So he's already humbled himself to become a man, and now he's going to humble himself by becoming obedient. The one who never had to obey anybody because he is the king of kings. This one now will subject himself in his manhood. Perfect man, perfect God. He will subject himself and obey the will of his father and fill out perfectly what you and I failed to do. He became obedient. But it wasn't just that he was obedient. He became obedient to death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. This God-man did not sin. Therefore, his wages were life. But he took your wages and my wages, which was death, upon himself. That's humility. Even the death of the cross. Let 1 Peter 5, that we read last week, ring in your ears now. For this reason, God highly exalted him. In due season, when God's purposes are accomplished, through humility, God exalts, even as he did his son. For this reason, God highly exalted him, Jesus Christ, and bestowed upon him a name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those that are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That, my friends, is humility. That's what we have been called to. He's the perfect example. And I wrote down there, I don't need to go back and read them for you now, the humility of the humbling of the um, incarnation. Uh, let me humble myself, the third one down. I have the humbling of precaution. Of course, that's not what I meant. The humbling of persecution. So cross that out, straighten out my, um, my spelling and suffering. Dying as a criminal between two thieves. Dying the most cruel death man has ever devised. And then, how long is eternity? From eternity past, for all the endlessness, endlessness, endlessness past, one with the Father, 
to hear. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Forsaken of the Father. For you and for me. The depth of humility for our salvation and the cost is literally, other than just read the scripture, indescribable. So Jesus humbled himself. He, he thinks of others, not himself. He serves others before himself, and he sacrifices himself for others. And really, in a very same way, we're called to do that. We're called to be servants um, for the glory of God. And so that's the, uh, that's the product of humility and the perfect example of humility. And we see then why it is, as we've looked at it, that um, pride is the greatest danger. It's a great danger. And why it is is that humility is, a, is essential. It's, a, it's our essential defense against the resident pride that is, is in us. So, you know, it's a, a couple of concluding application questions there. How did the truths concerning the danger of pride and the defensive humility cause you to think differently? It's the fourth week in this. Have you thought any differently about it? Has God opened your eyes to anything that you would be able to share? We, we talked about um, pride confessions before. Maybe it's a, a humility insight, but just something as a testimony with your brothers and sisters. Any, anybody would like to do that? I'd like to give you that opportunity. It's a very humbling thing, which I think we've proven is not necessarily bad. Okay. Lisa, they'll give you a mic. Um, I've thought a lot about what you've talked about in, in Sunday school over the last few weeks, and um, I went to a seminar last, a women's conference last spring or fall with my daughter-in-law, Sarah, at my old church, Calvary Memorial in Roanoke. And she, the speaker, it was a very well-intentioned. She was explaining that how important it is for us to have goals. And everybody knows if you don't have goals, what are you shooting at? You know, nothing. But she was encouraging everybody to have goals for 10 years. And um, I leaned over to my daughter-in-law, Sarah, and I said, it's just so funny. My goals that I would have had for my life right now would have been business goals, personal goals, marriage goals, um, raising all five of my children at that point. I would have been done by now. And God totally took the goals that I had in my heart or head. And I was very, I've always been very intentional, probably too much, had too many goals. Um, but I just felt like if I don't hit them, and that's what I loved about my husband. He did the same thing. We would have business meetings as a couple, raising our children. Once We would go off for a weekend and had business goals for our finances, for our children. Our goals would go through each one of our children and what we wanted, and what, where were they in the family right now, what, what struggles did they have. We, just, we probably had too many goals. 
when I think back of what my goals were 10 years ago, God is just, I told my friend, it was like I've just been a pest. It's, it's just I've been ground, and I know God allowed it. But to be standing here today and be a widow, my business, I don't even have time to do my business that I had started back in 2005. I don't. I'm raising my grandson now of my oldest son and his wife. I have custody and I'm about to adopt him. He's just about to turn six. And I never would have planned on that, but with my husband's guidance and God just making it more than evidently clear that I needed to be doing that and step in. Um, just so many things in my life. I have n none of my goals. I'm not traveling with my husband. I don't even have my husband. I don't have my business. I don't have an empty nest to be able to just flit off and go for lunch with somebody or go on a run or even run an errand anymore because I have somebody that I'm in charge of. And I, I don't even, I'm a single parent now. But God has humbled me. And if you would have asked me what my goals were, I would have been really proud of them, that I had met them. I haven't met any of my goals. But I praise God because he's humbled me. He's made me cling, as you said at the beginning of this. I cling to him every hour. I am so humbled at how much I need my Savior, and I need direction. Because I can't do any of this by myself. And the things I do for my job are to just carry on what my husband had and not be foolish. And that's Amen. how God's humbled me. Amen. And I thank him for it. I, it makes me thankful for the most simple things, just to, the most simple things. It might have been too much to share today, I don't know. Yes, amen. We understand um, a sense of it, and I, I think goal-driven people, um, I don't think goals are wrong, I don't think you're saying goals are wrong, but if we don't, aren't careful, we be, goals become our life rather than Christ being our life. And um, and God often humbles us. Many times, Lisa, when I'm praying, because I'm sort of goal-oriented, not sort of goal-oriented, I am goal-oriented, I, I pray Proverbs 16.9, um, even for my day. Lord, I have plans today, and I think it's good that I've made those plans, but um, I belong to you. You are Lord in Christ, and you're my Lord in Christ, and so I submit those plans to you, and if that's the way my day goes, um, I'll praise you for it. But if you've got a change in direction for me today, a change of plans, a change of goals today, uh, I'm yours in advance. I submit and I yield to that. That's very humbling uh, to pray and say, but it's the greatest thing we can do as believers to approach every day from that standpoint because he is Lord. He is Christ. He is the King. And it, we belong to him. It's not, it's not the other way around. Thank you for your transparency in sharing that. Well, we're out of time, so I guess there were others, but you've got one minute? One minute? I don't know if I can sum this up in one minute, but last October 18th, Jim and I got the most humbling 
thing I think of our lives, and that is that Jim got uh, called in by his superior and was given a disciplinary action. And it was shocking. And it turned out that there were anonymous complaints from students, maybe just one student, um, that he was gender insensitive, that he had been ethnically insensitive. And, and it, was, it was just outrageous. And the, the superior who passed this down had really not investigated it. It was all anonymous. And we came to Pastor Brody and Pastor Farrell, and they both thought, you know, maybe they're kind of moving Jim along. You know, we're old, and it's time, even though you started the, helped start the medical school, you're getting old, and we have other plans. And we really thought that was perhaps the, the direction it was going. And two months later, in a follow-up meeting, the superior said, to Jim, don't take it so seriously. Don't think of it as a disciplinary action. Just think of it as a um, way to be a better teacher and maybe a, just an annual review. And Jim said, am I going to get one of these every year? And he said, oh, no, don't take it so seriously. We don't want you to quit. Please stay. Please stay. So we, Jim just kept his head down. But all during that time, our children had urged Jim to go in and hand in his resignation. And Jim wouldn't do it. He just kept doing what he always did, teach the kids, keep going. And this last week, we got an email that effective immediately, that superior that was going to a different department at the university, and he's gone. And on his way out, he came to Jim's door, and he said, uh, in a kind of a 20-second interaction, Jim, I just want to thank you. You just could have been so different when I was a pain in the blank. And he said, um, I've learned a lot from you, and I just want to thank you. And then he was gone. And I thought, you know, this year has been really humbling for Jim and me because we never intended for him to be fired. Mm. And here we were in the middle of just going about our lives and thinking about how things might go down. And in the end, it was nothing. And Jim thinks maybe they didn't even put that in his file. Who knows? We don't know. But it, I guess if you're 78, it doesn't matter, does it? But 77. 77, almost 78. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, again, God, yeah, God in his, in his due time exalted again. Sometimes he removes obstacles that are humbling us. All right. Listen, we're going to conclude next week, and we're going to look at pride crushers, um, not crunchers like it says on your handout, crushers. And so it's on the back of the very first page. We're going to go over that. We're going to talk a little bit more back and forth about this whole thing, and we'll uh, conclude uh, this study. God bless you. You are dismissed.